0: Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience in field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. This week, we are talking with Coulter Chitwood from Oklahoma State University, and we're going to be hitting wild turkey populations, ecology and disease monitoring, and more. We'll jump right into that in 90 seconds. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.
1: Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops in Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com slash conservation.
2: Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer Permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer Permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com.
3: Hi, everyone. It's Hannah with the NWTF communications team, and today I'm talking with Coulter Chitwood to discuss the ongoing wild turkey research in Oklahoma. Coulter, thank you for talking with me today.
4: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
3: So let's start with the basics. Can you tell me about your background and how you got started with wild turkey research and how you came to be the principal investigator of this project?
4: Yeah. So, uh, if we go way back, I'm a, I'm a hillbilly from Northwest Georgia. So I'm a Southern Appalachian boy that grew up chasing everything in the woods and catching fish and grabbing turtles and frogs and listening to birds. And somewhere along the way, you know, I, I was doing the hunting, doing the fishing, but I got really interested in more kind of ecology, ecological questions and, um, that kind of culminated, kinda came to a head, uh, getting an environmental science degree, which was my actually my BS at UNC Chapel Hill. And um and then I slowly kinda pivoted into the, the wildlife world with a masters and PhD and um I've always been interested in in game species in particular because of my, my hunting background, but um but wild turkeys too, because um even though I, I didn't hunt them from the time I was a fir- first a hunter. In other words, I, I was probably about middle school age. I think the first time I went on a turkey hunt, but my brother and I were learning that at the same time and we loved it. And so basically I've just kind of been waiting on the opportunity. I've, I've gotten to dabble in some turkey work here and there over the years, but when I moved to Oklahoma, this opportunity more or less fell in my lap as a, as a new faculty member and, and our agency ODWC, Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, um, was really interested in, in uh, potential turkey decline in the state. And so uh, me and colleagues were able to put together a proposal and now I'm here talking to you, the funded project.
3: Yeah, sounds good. So can you walk us through the overview of the ongoing research project and its objectives?
4: Absolutely. Um, So much like a lot of the southeast. U.S. right now, uh, it kind of started with anecdotal evidence that the state of Oklahoma had, that were kind of pointing to population decline. Uh, now, I also should mention for, for some of your listeners that maybe aren't familiar, we do have eastern and Rio birds as well as a hybrid zone uh, in Oklahoma. And so, so our project is all encompassing. I'm focused more on the eastern side just based on the assigned duties within the project team. But. Uh, the project does include both ends of the state. And importantly, many of those metrics that other states, you know, have also found to be concerning, things like pulp per hen ratio um, declines, maybe in hunter harvest. Um, those have been true on both uh, both the eastern side of the state where we've got easterns and on the western side of the state where we've got rios. Um, so that was the impetus for the agency being involved um, in a project like this and, and putting forth the funding to get it started. And then our main goals with that, of course, are to go out and trap birds, uh, again, in both spots, Eastern and Rio alike, um, and use uh, GPS backpacks to essentially focus on hen vital rates, right? And by vital rates, I'm talking about what is survival like, what is their nesting ecology like. and Within nesting ecology, that can have to do with, you know, how frequently they're nesting, what's the timing of nesting, is the nest successful? If it is successful, what. Are, What's the brood size like? Are the broods successful, right? Do the polts end up surviving? And so um, so in that sense, our project was kind of designed to be an all-encompassing uh, capture and marking study where we put transmitters on adult hens as well as ultimately uh, polts, very young polts, to try to track poults survival. Um, kind of layered in with that are some other more landscape scale questions, including a genetics component. Um, that some of our colleagues in Texas are helping us with uh, looking at connectivity, especially in western oklahoma uh, as as a potential explanation for how popula populations may or may not be isolated from one another, and that could affect gene flow and ultimately you know population level success but that's that's the that's the forty five second version yeah
3: well with that um could you explain maybe a little further the significance of this research and like the why you were doing this?
4: yeah, absolutely um i mean honestly so oklahoma if you if you just kind of start small um a, a lot of these these data they haven't been collected um in our areas of southern great plains and and what little bit has i mean we're talking twenty thirty maybe even forty years ago, so at some level. You you know, as an agency, ODWC wants to check back in, especially when they're they're seeing signs of population decline. So so to me, that's the two prongs of the why. Number one, there's evidence of decline and they need to figure out what they can do management wise to respond to that. But number two, they don't have fresh data from from landscapes that are specific to Oklahoma hunters to say whether or not hen survival is high, low, average is um nest success uh you know in the trenches or is it okay um so so those are i think are the the two main motivating factors um you know from the agency perspective and then from our perspective obviously as researchers we we want to provide those answers so obviously i enjoy studying and understanding wild turkey ecology if only because i'm also a user of that resource um But, you know, we're here to otherwise help solve problems because I don't I don't make the management decisions in Oklahoma or Georgia or Tennessee. But work that I do and work that other colleagues do might help those agencies make management decisions. So that's really the the thrust of it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Those are great points. And you touched on this a little bit. uh, My last question, but can you explain the methodology behind this research and how you're going to gather your data and like what, what a day in the field would look like.
1: Sure.
4: Um, so the only, uh, again, we're, we're trapped, we're focused on hens for this project. We do band uh, males if if we catch them incidentally. Um, but we're, we're focused on putting transmitters on hens in this case to focus on that reproductive side. Um, so it's a little bit different depending on what end of the state. We have students obviously working on both the eastern side and the Rio side. And. Basically, the methods are the same. The difference is how we trap them. And so um, on the eastern side of the project, we use rocket netting, uh, which is very standard uh, uh, trapping procedure used across, uh, well, across North America, but in particular in particular for Easterns. Um, and so they tend to be pretty finicky and not, not as willing to walk into a trap or walk under a net. And so in this way, you kind of hide the net. In our case, we shoot out of a box, so, so it's a small a small box that's kind of hidden on the landscape or nestled into the vegetation, and they get used to feeding in front of it, and then we can, we can set off the explosives and launch the net out of the box to catch the hens. On the Rio side of the project, we instead use walk-in traps. And so, again, there's a baiting component there where they have to get used to, to come into the bait. Usually, it's pretty close to a roost site, a winter roost site, so they fly down, they stretch, they do their morning stuff, they go over to get a bite to eat, but over time they've gotten used to these, these little traps being there, and they walk in and essentially trap themselves. Um, and so in that case, it's a bit more of a passive approach. But at the end of the day, it results in our hands on birds so that we can strap those GPS transmitters to the hens, and then everything after that is, is similar on both both ends of the state where the students and their technicians are following up on survival you know, obviously making sure the bird's alive. If it is dead, can we figure out what killed it? Um, and then obviously if the hen makes it into nesting, well, then that that starts the whole nesting protocol where we're obviously trying not to disturb that hen, but identify that, that nest site location, track her progress, hopefully to a successful hatch. And then if successful, we then go in on that hen uh, early in the morning. In the first two to three days after she's hatched the brood, and that's where we would actually push her off the brood um, right after daylight. So she's brooding them under her on the ground. We approach, she spooks away. We catch as many of the poults as we can. We do our quick, you know, pulp processing, which involves a little suture style. with a tiny, tiny little, and the transmitter would would fall through that hole. It's it, you know, it, it's not very big, um, and we but we actually suture it to their back, um, and then and then keep the brood together get out of there mom comes back recovers the brood they go about their day but now we not only have mom marked we actually have the poults marked um and and hopefully better able to get it at poult survival and causes the mortality
3: that way hmm. it's really interesting what you said about um different species have different ways of like um catching them uh, i've never heard of that before um I guess my question would be then, what is the different data that you're expecting to understand with the transmitters on the hens versus the poults?
4: Well, the hen, the hen uh, transmitters are GPS capable. So we're getting really, you know, pretty fine scale movement data on where she's selects to spend her time so there's a innumerable questions many of which have been asked before um, and and i think the technology is just allowing us to ask better and better questions about where those hens are spending time um, so we know we know the underlying landscape we know where anthropogenic features are we know where roads are we know where she ended up putting her nest well now we we know at least to the hour and in some cases even finer scale than that everywhere she went the poult transmitters, in order to be tiny and small and lightweight and, and therefore not dangerous to the poult, they're, they're not capable of giving GPS data. We know where, where they are based on mom's movements, but we also don't know when they disappear, except in years past, you know, research past, you just have to go and flush, flush the brood periodically. And then there's, there's concerns about whether or not the count is correct. And so there's some bias associated with that. Well, this idea of marking the pulse is designed to kind of fill that hole because what could happen over time is you could take a brood of say 10, and if they're all, if they all have transmitters on them, as you, as you slowly lose those transmitters, you know, those individuals are lost to usually predation, but potentially even just exposure to the weather. Maybe they were just weak and, and destined to fail um, from birth. Um, but that, that's not GPS technology at that point. It's just, it's, um, it's radio signal technology that allows us to at least identify when those, when those polts go missing. Uh, even as mom and the other survivors move on, we're hoping you hope to be able to find that transmitter and go, okay, yeah, this one did die. Um, and that's not always perfect. Sometimes you just find the little polt in a cotton mouth. But in that case, um, we had a technician track to, to a snake and find a bulge in the snake. Uh, it turned out the snake was actually dead. And so they were able to open it up and confirm, indeed, that the snake had consumed uh, the pulp with the transmitter still attached. I think, does that answer your question?
3: Yeah, definitely. And so what? how does this information and the data that you gather from the transmitters contribute to the research objectives so what like what specific things are you looking at
4: well in our case um, a lot of the the stuff that I've been describing to you uh, would relate back to what I that term I mentioned before the vital rates right so um, without being super technical and boring people a lot of this information uh, gets gets turned into data types that can be used in population modeling so if we wanted to know, the relative effect that these different life stages had on population growth or population decline, we can do that. Um, and so, uh, so in that way, knowing when things are alive and dead, um, you know, you can you know, almost treat that as a zero and a one. I mean, like I said, it becomes a data type that, that doesn't necessarily make sense. You know, we, we talk about them being alive and dead and what killed them, but going into a model uh, we break that down and it becomes more of a, a math problem. Um, and so that's that's our main focus with with the uh, survival information. Now the the GPS data on the hen, you know, that's back. That's also providing spatial information. So we have questions about how they use landscapes. Do those underlying landscapes affect their nest success? You know, uh, how is that underlying landscape of, um, related to things like predator density? So another piece of the project that I didn't mention that doesn't involve Uh, GPS units is using uh, camera trapping, like trail cameras, to assess uh, predator densities and predator activity. Well, now we have information, GPS information of hens, that those hens are interacting with vegetation on the landscape. But those vegetation uh, types on the landscape are potentially interacting differently with the predator species that may be trying to kill a hen or eat a nest. So in that case, uh, the GPS data becomes more of a spatial question, right? Dots on a map. So we can see how uh, how that may lead to better nest success or worse nest success or better survival or worse survival. So hopefully that answers the question.
3: Yeah. So I understand that the transmitter data is kind of the main thing, the focal point of the research. But is there any other data that you are collecting from the turkeys that um, –
4: Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, that's great. I, you led me right into it because the only thing I failed to mention when we talked about the procedure is when we're handling the birds. So when we trap them, we do take blood samples and we take uh, disease swabs, uh, cloacal or or from the mouth or both. And um, and so part of you know part of our discussion today is is because of the NWTF funding. And one of the big holes that it fills for us is that our original proposal, uh, where we're funded by Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, we didn't have the disease component in there. We were we're collecting the swabs, but their objectives were targeted at the very things you and I just discussed: the vital rate data, the spatial data, and the genetic piece that's being handled by our colleagues in Texas. But you know, given that we care about that vital rate data, an obvious next step is well. Are, are disease issues affecting survival, right? Um, are n- nutritional metrics that we could find from the blood indicative of, or you know, do they point towards success or failure of a particular hen, uh, either through survival or nesting ecology? So, um, so that was actually a big, uh, a big thing that the NWTF money helps, helps us support here is we can take the, the disease swabs now and the blood and uh, and send those to labs to screen for certain pathogens that we may may be concerned about or want to know more about. And then on the blood side, we can send the blood um, and get nutritional metrics. And some of, I say nutritional, but it's physiological metrics, right, that, that might speak toward um, organ function, right? So there are enzymes you can measure that indicate whether or not the liver is functioning appropriately. Well, I'm completely speculating. We have no idea. They could all be normal. But if they're not, it could point to something else on the landscape that our otherwise our data is not going to uncover, and so uh so we think you know at this point it's all hands on deck kind of in the turkey world, we're trying to think of every possible thing that we could screen for or measure um ultimately to get back to how do we explain survival and nest success and and therefore population trajectory
3: yeah, it's super exciting that this additional funding will add that extra aspect to this research. And some of the other research projects that are going on through this funding are looking at disease as well. So it's really interesting that they're all kind of connected in that way. And um, thinking about that, the research outcomes from this project are expected to have broader implications for the Southeastern region of the United States. So how will the data gathered in Oklahoma contribute to the understanding factors affecting wild turkey populations in this larger geographic area?
4: Okay. Yeah, so that's a great question. And I'm going to kind of answer it two ways because you're absolutely right um, that there's other projects doing disease screening. And, and we're actually a part of one of the other NWTF-funded projects that was led. I believe uh, the point crew on that is out of Texas Tech but it's a it's a a Rio Grande focused uh Great Plains focused disease study. So so those same swabs I was just telling you about um that disease work is going to actually be handled through that uh that part of the grant, right? That NWTF grant. Meanwhile, what you and I are on here talking about today is actually the eastern side of our project where the disease work is coming from NWTF's funding. Um so so kind of that's already one answer to how it's it's larger because you know we're already a piece of a bigger study on the rio side that's connecting i think i think it's at least four states if i recall four or five states um but on the eastern side i think what your question speaks to is what we hinted at before and that is that as we move into southeast oklahoma i mean we know those are full full on eastern birds and it 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 gets to be more of a southeastern landscape you know a lot of people think of oklahoma as just flat and wide open and a lot of it is but Southeast Oklahoma, you know, and this is coming from a Georgia boy. You, you put a blindfold on me and spin me around a couple of times, and you could be standing on a ridge that you could easily confuse with Southern Appalachians or uh, the Arkansas, you know, North Arkansas, South Missouri, and the Ozarks. So, so, what happens is, though the data themselves are theoretically specific to our study site in Oklahoma. You know, population modeling has a broader value and can be informed by vital rates that are now simultaneously being co- collected across numerous states, right? It's creating opportunity for us to pool data sets to, to look at larger, you know, larger amounts of data. And then likewise, that underlying landscape, you know, some of where some of the places that our Southeastern turkeys are spending time are on pine plantations, which are a huge component of the landscape from Arkansas and Louisiana. All the way to you know coastal north carolina so uh so in that way i think the the types of stuff that we're working on just like the type of stuff you know i know y'all have had dr Lashley on here he's working on with osceolas in florida you know just because it's a certain subspecies or just because it's certain study site doesn't doesn't mean there's not some application that's broader and i think that's actually the strength of of what all these agencies have started to do and now what you know nwtf has started to do with this funding uh, because you're, you know, you're supporting a lot of projects across a broad area, and uh, that just that just allows us to connect data more seamlessly.
3: Yeah, I find it super exciting that these research projects not only benefit the turkey and the area where the research is being conducted, but just while turkey benefits as a whole. And I think mm-hmm. it's so interesting that you uh, this project is a part of. Um, the other research project that um, you mentioned, because I actually interviewed Dr. Grisham. Yeah. Um, I think that was my very first interview that I did. So it's interesting that the, I didn't know that those were two they were connected.
4: Yeah. Knew, yeah. Like I said, yeah, it, it, I knew. It, go ahead. What, what I was going to say it happened, that happens kind of organically, you know, when, when NWTF puts out the the RFP, you know, we, I I, I believe it was Blake. He had immediately reached out to our team knowing that we were working on Rio's, but he was focused on Rio's. Well, meanwhile, we want to do disease work on the Easterns too. So, so the part that I'm leading, I mean, it's the same Oklahoma project either way, but it's just how you kind of silo the funding. And so now through Blake's leadership, our Rio portion of the project will be coordinated with them on the disease screening. And then through this other part that that I that I put in for that you and I are talking about today, our eastern side of our project will be doing disease work. And it, and of course it doesn't mean that the the disease work won't overlap. It just means that in that case we're we're not quite as coordinated with another state. But I think I think again I think stuff like that really collaborative efforts are tend to be stronger. So kudos to NWTF for making it happen. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's it's super cool that these are uh that connected. When we had talked and he had mentioned that he was working with Oklahoma to do uh, that section of the research there, I just wasn't aware that um when I would be talking with you today that those were the same thing. So that's super cool. Yep. Um, so I have one more question. So mm-hmm. it's clear that this research holds significant potential. So how do you think that the findings from this research will be utilized by the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Con- Conservation and just other wildlife managers in general to effectively manage the wild turkey populations?
4: Yeah, um, so great question and arguably the the meaning of the whole thing, right? So we kind of hinted at this before, but, um, but more pointedly, you know, this all started because ODWC – wants to do the best they can do for, for turkeys, you know, long-term. But that does include the fact that there's a very active, you know, very vocal community of turkey hunters who also want to see turkeys succeed, right? Um, and selfishly, of course, that's because a lot of us want to be able to harvest, you know, turkeys. Um, so, so most proximally, the results from our project will give them more information to allow them to better set, you know, season and harvest frameworks within the state of Oklahoma. Um, I think that's true more largely as well. I mean, obviously I can't say that my turkeys indicate that Florida, you know, where Marcus is doing research should do X, Y, or Z. Um, But if we start to find trends across these projects, it may be that, that there is evidence that in some cases states might adopt each other's strategies, because maybe some strategies are working better than others. Um, and while and while I'm responding to this, I want to put in another plug for something I think ODWC is really concerned about is when when this, this kind of anecdotal evidence of decline started coming on, um, they immediately wanted to try to respond as best they could, given the data that they had, which in some cases is not not awesome. In other words, they're not going around putting transmitters on turkeys all the time. So they don't just, they don't just have constant survival estimates uh, to inform their management. But, um, but one of the things that they, that they did is engage with stakeholders on potential regulation changes. And I think a lot of your listeners might think it's interesting that when, when initially they, they thought, Hey, first thing we want to do is maybe rain back harvest. So for those who didn't know, when I first arrived in Oklahoma, um, so through spring of 2021, the statewide limit was three gobblers in the spring, only one per county. And there were some special circumstances of hunting in the Southeast, but let's just keep it simple for right now. So, the average hunter, you've got three birds statewide, but you got a, one per county. Well, they actually decided starting in spring of 2022 that they were going to reduce that bag limit. And they put forth a proposal the agency, you know, through the commission, through the 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 regulation setting process, put forward a proposal to reduce that from three to two. And during the comment period, which of course all, all states use some form of comment period on these regulation changes, hunters actually asked for it to be reduced to one. There was there was such groundswell support in the hunting community to reduce it down to one that currently starting in spring of twenty twenty two and and through now, um, it's one bird statewide. Now, I'm not here to, to provide, you know, opinions on whether or not that's that that's right or wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think it's um it illustrates the amount of attention that ODWC has put into this problem, um, or this perceived problem, right? And it's number one, how do we engage with the stakeholders? And what we're finding is the turkey hunters are very concerned, and they want to do whatever they can do to right the ship, so to speak. And then number two, ODWC put their money where their mouth is. They realize that they can collect, they can make better decisions with a lot more data. And so this big project that now, again, you and I are talking about, because now NWTF is a part of, um, is 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 their way toward having that, that better data and hopefully make better decisions as a result.
3: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, and I just want to say thank you for shedding some light on this research, and I think it's just super important that I get the opportunity to talk with you and for us to do a deep dive into this research to kind of, you know, shed light and understand the nuances and the importance of this research more.
4: Yeah, thanks.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success with more than six million dollars provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com
2: Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at sawyer.com.
0: Hey, y'all. I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.